Let me remind you again that you are what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. And you can change what you are and you can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. But let me ask you the question. How many of you have ever wondered in your own mind if you really as an individual had what it takes to be successful? Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and in this show, Zig Ziggler asks a question that is gigantic. He asks, what makes a person successful? His message was delivered from a live stage to a live audience, and he literally had them respond back and wrote these things on a whiteboard. From the question, he makes a dramatic point. From the answers, he makes a dramatic point. You'll have to listen to the show to find out what it is. But from the message, I posted on Facebook this question. Where did you learn about character, morality, ethics, the greatest values in life that school doesn't teach? And if you have a story about a time when you were not well-schooled in these areas and incurred challenges as a result, please share. The amount of responses that we got put this in the top five of all questions that we put out on Facebook. So we obviously hit a nerve. Tom Ziegler and I talked through a lot of these, and that's what we're going to share with you. But we'll kick off with an almost five-minute clip from Zig after I share these great resources. Okay, here then is Zig Ziglar. This clip again is about five minutes. Then we're going to dive into the comments with Tom Ziglar. Let me remind you again that as we talk along these lines that all of us still want the same thing. All of us want to be happy and healthy. We want to be secure, reasonably prosperous. We want to have friends and we want to have peace of mind. Let me remind you again that you are what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. And you can change what you are and you can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. But let me ask you the question. How many of you have ever wondered in your own mind if you really as an individual individual had what it takes to be successful. How many of you have ever held on a regular basis your own little personal pity party? Something that you had planned on happening didn't happen and you said, oh poor little me. Nothing ever goes right for me. And then you would point out somebody else, well I can see why that guy'd make it, why he's bright, he's articulate, he's well educated, he's personable. I can see where this lady would make it, why she's a marvelous communicator, has a one wonderful personality, loves people, gets along with everybody. I can see where she'd make it. I can see where he could make it, but poor little me. How many of you have ever in those moments wondered if you really had what it took to be successful? Can I see your hands, please? Okay. Those of you who did not raise your hands didn't understand the question. Either that or you are powerful tired. That's all I got to say about you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what is necessary for success? What does it take to be successful? Here's what I'd like to get you to do. I would like to get you to think of the most successful person you know. Could be a man, could be a woman. Could be your parents, could be a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, a cousin, could be a neighbor. Could be a preacher, could be a plumber, could be a general in the army, could be an admiral in the navy, could be a salesperson, a business executive, a mother of the year, a school teacher, a professor, could be a politician. Think of the most successful person you know. And here's what really will make the cheese more binding. Think of somebody who, if you could not be you, you would say, I'd want to be her or I'd want to be him. 
Now, don't eliminate a person just because they're rich. I know some very successful people who are rich. But don't include them just because they're rich because I know some very rich people whom I would not consider in the least bit successful. Classic example is Howard Hughes. I don't think anybody listening to this recording would have swapped places with Howard Hughes the last 20 years of his life. But now think of this individual and, and let's see if we can find out what makes this person successful. What are the qualities which make them successful? I want you to call out to me the qualities and I'll write them down. What's one quality of this successful person? Call it out loud and I'll just write it down. Somebody who has a good positive mental attitude. I assume that that's what you're talking about, a good positive mental attitude, all right? Give me another one. Somebody who has great faith, all right? And I heard the word somebody who has desire, all right? Give me another one. Somebody who has enthusiasm. Okay, give me another one. Somebody who is a good listener and somebody who has a sense, a good sense of humor. What's another quality of the successful person? Somebody who has integrity and somebody who is consistent. Okay, give me another one. Somebody has a good self-image. Somebody who has love in their life. All right, give me another one. A loving individual, an honest individual. Somebody who is sincere. Somebody who is an encourager. And I believe I heard somebody say a moment ago is a hard worker. You know, a lot of people quit looking for work as soon as they find a job. And uh, that's not what we have in mind. Is it? Somebody asked this fellow, how many people you got working for you? And he said about half of him. Okay, another quality, somebody who has compassion, okay. How many of you believe that your attitude's important? Can I see your hands? Okay, now, let me uh, see if we can do a little check in here. How many of you, when you were in school, had a course which specifically taught you how to develop these qualities that you've just identified as being present in the most successful people you know? I don't see any hands. Isn't that interesting? Well, there you go, folks. Classic, profound Zig Ziglar. Again, from this message, I posted a question on my Facebook page at Agent K Miller, where I invite you to join in for these weekly questions. Question I posted was, where did you learn about character, morality, ethics, the greatest values in life that school doesn't teach? Again, we had a near record number of comments and they're still flowing in. So here now, Tom Ziegler and I talk through your comments. Okay, Tom, well, asking people this question, where did they learn their character, morality, ethics? Man, obviously we hit a nerve. Uh, we had so many comments on this and just some powerful stories. So I know you and I always have some, uh, I hope we do some good things to add, but I think, uh, people are, I just enjoyed reading through these. I just made me smile and gave me a lot of gratitude for the good people out there who are making an effort to teach others and to purvey morals and ethics and character like the Ziegler corporation. You know what I mean? I'm with you there, and it's it's funny how we can go into our memory bank, and there's this, like, it seemed like a little thing at the time, but then later on in life, it's like, wow, that's where that thought or that belief on the importance of character and integrity came from. 
Yeah. Uh, and just seeing these these comments just reinforces that. So I'm I'm excited about being able to share what we have to share today. I am too. And I got to say it brought up something that I talked just a couple of days with somebody about, and I talk about a lot was your dad, Zig Ziglar's wall of fame and the people that influenced his life, mentored him. Um, we all, we all need that. How grateful I am for those that I have on my wall and I am eager to keep uh, adding to you're on that wall, by the way, brother, just so you know. Oh, Okay. All right. Well, here, we'll dig in there. So here's a guy that we both know, Christopher Lockhead. He, we had him on a show 479, folks, talked about his book that he was a co-author on called Play Bigger. And we'll be having, we'll be talking about him again because he has a new book called Niche Down that uh, where Play Bigger really focused on companies and, and a lot of big corporate stories. Niche Down is for the individual, the solopreneur, the entrepreneur, uh, the individual or the independent contractor, and just a powerful, powerful message. So he was the first one to comment on this thing. And he said right off the bat, uh, who he cites is his parents and grandparents. And in quotes, you do what's right because it's the right thing to do. And Tom, as we read down this matter of fact, let me just make a statement real quick. There was a lot of people who just gave one liners and I, I'm going to go ahead and do the ones that told a bit more of a story, but there were so many people. If I had to take the top two, it was parents and the Bible is what was cited. Just real quick. We had a ton of those and on parents, uh, we can both testify to that, Tom. I mean, I know that I did not always, I can't say I was a straight arrow my entire life, but seeing the example of my parents is what brought me back to center as a young adult and has, I don't know an example, anything, any different, just like you of, uh, parents of the, of the primary authorities in our lives who were seeking to have great character, great morals, great ethics. Amen to that. I, you know, he said, uh, you do what's right because it's the right thing to do. And he mentioned parents and grandparents. And when I was, well, this is 40 years ago. I remember going to lunch after church with Mr. Garrett and his wife. They were my Sunday school teachers. And he mm. was like a grandparent to me. He was probably in his 70s. And we're going down the Dallas North Tollway, and he threw his, I think it was a quarter back then. It might not even have been a quarter. He threw it in. I saw him throw it in, and then he pulled forward, and the little red light didn't turn green. Hmm. And he got stuck because somebody was behind him. So he gets off at the next exit, crosses over, gets on the tollway, pays a toll, gets off, comes back around and then goes through the toll and then pays it. Wow. And I'm just like, who does that? Yeah. And it was a, it was, it was a, a person whose life was, you know what? It's just the right thing to do. Yeah. And yeah. that stuck with me. I was 13 at the time and I, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. The smell of this, the, Remember the plastic vinyl in those cars back then and all that stuff. I can just remember the whole, the whole scene. And it's powerful for all of us to think about the little actions that we take that somebody else sees and what the impact can be on them. Well, here is uh, Tom Schwab uh, commented next, and he ha happens to be the chief evangelist officer for Interview Valet. And that's actually the company that uh, takes care agents for Christopher Lockhead that we just read before, but great company. We get a lot of our interviews from folks that they are representing. And he said, this is a powerful lesson that was drilled into me by Minister Leon A. Edney, who was the commandant 
Ad- Admiral, Admiral, sorry, who was the commandant at the Naval Academy. If you came before him in trouble, he would only ask one question. Why did you think that was the right thing to do? Forget the rules and regulations. Use your head. Many midshipmen were sent to him for punishment for breaking a rule and left being thanked for doing the right thing. Uh, and you're going to hear if, well, we'll see how many we get through here. There's a lot of military examples given here. And I know that's one that your dad used as well. A lot of times military and the boy scouts of places that taught morality, ethics, and character. And there's Tom, a guy who is an influential person today. And I wonder if that guy that he referenced knows what an impact he had on Tom. (laughs) You know, and I like the idea of the why. Uh, because a lot of times rules are just followed followed aimlessly. Mm-hmm. And especially when you talk about uh, a bureaucratic situation, rules don't make sense after a while. And if they're not based in, in, in morals or ethics or some uh, principle underneath it, they become stumbling blocks rather than foundation stones. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, Here is one from Dan Brandenburg. I know Dan. I worked with him some. He is a professional photographer, and uh, a lot of the images people use online are from him. Uh, He says, I've long believed that my own sense or morals were part. This is an interesting one, folks. Partly derived from, you ready? Endless Saturday morning cartoons. The characters were always, and I think he's probably our age, Tom, probably uh, 40, somewhere in there. The characters were always facing some kind of dilemma and would find the moral solution in 30 minutes or less. The episodes would always end with a one-minute lecture about how knowing is half the battle. No matter the cartoon, the good guys always came out on top by not lying, cheating, stealing, or hurting others, etc. The heroes always came to the aid of those in need, even at their own peril. They served as role models. As a kid, I wanted to be a brave, bold, honest, and and courageous as my cartoon heroes. I'd also like to add that the same is true for countless TV action heroes of old, especially growing up obsessed with MacGyver. Uh, As a preteen, I often referred to his moral compass to guide me. He was a humanitarian who tried to help people through intellect while also trying to avoid violence. For better or worse, TV is a very powerful medium, especially for children. But in this case, I think it's been a force for good. And and Tom, man, I'd have to say back then, I don't know about today. Uh, I struggle with that sentiment today. But back then, I remember it, man. Schoolhouse Rock, you know, you watch the Saturday morning cartoons and you get this message uh, from Schoolhouse Rock. It was, it, there was some good stuff that we, our generation, got to benefit from. Uh, of course, today, I don't know that that is quite the case. <laughs> you know, and, and it's amazing how we don't pay much attention as a culture to the messages that are going out like we should, whether it's messages that are today are embedded in video games or in music or in social media or in all these little memes that we see. And yet here's an example of how it could be done right. And, you know, dad, dad had this, uh, this great quote. He said, uh, you are what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mm-hmm. mind. And you can change what you are and change where you are by changing what goes into your mind we need more we need more programming like this that has that moral compass at the end and the challenge today is the the you know the flavor of the of the decade of the culture now is 
is who's to say what's right or wrong, what's truth or not. And so that means you can't say anything other than everything. Yeah. 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 That's, that's so true. You know, what it speaks to me of is just the, the, the benefit of good continual, just what you said, positive programming. And I'm going to make a call out that after uh, a road trip I had recently and listening to Mr. Zig Ziglar uh, again, I, and his statement about listening to something 16 times is what plants it in your head that my family and I have now committed to going through the CDs uh, of Zig Ziglar and listening to them 16 times. It'll take us a while. Cause I, I told the kids I'll, I'll promise to not make it longer than they want. So if it's a 10 minute sec- segment, 15 minute, then we'll leave it to that. And I won't uh, preach to them afterwards. We're just going to listen together. So, uh, yeah, we're going to do it, do it on our own. Uh, well, Hey, Nate Scott here says I have to go with the Bible. It's my current source. So many stories with great examples of all three of these things. Can't ask for a better teacher. I thought by my age, I would be a master of these three values. And I'm finding what I thought was written in stone was really a dry erase board and it changes. I can't wait to have to change some of them again as I move out of the military. Okay. So can't, you can't ignore that statement. What he thought was written in stone was really a dry erase board and it changes. Now in the Christian realm, those that could be, there's a controversial statement right there. I will make my own in that. I am a guy who loves black and white. I want to know what's best and what's not best. And I want to do what's best. And yet as time goes on, and when you look at that Bible, there are so many things where one chapter in one context, God has this directive. And in another chapter in a different context, he has an opposite directive. And what it has showcased to me is that God is in stone uh, and I'm to seek him in that moment in whatever space I'm at and look for him to tell me what to do. Because uh, yeah, like this guy, like Nate says here, um, there's, there's, uh, it's, it's hard to have a, a written in stone definitive on a lot of things. You know, to me, it's when I study God's word, it's, it's almost, it's, you know, I can understand the comment of being like a dry erase board. It's like me, the, the, the more I understand, the more the onion peels back, the more yeah. levels yeah. that it goes. Yeah. And what I thought was, you know, kind of a principle or a truth for one area is so much deeper than just the one area. Um, and so I, I get where he, where he's coming from. Uh, you know, one of my heroes, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, mm-hmm. he's, he talks about, he talks about, you know, the world is always changing, but truth never changes. Yeah. And so what we've got to do is go find the truth and, and build our life on that. Uh, because the environment is always changing and the pressures seem to always be changing, but there are some things that never change. Yes, that is, there's a lot, a lot of tension, uh, in that topic. Well, Hey, Maureen, it looks like Swoger here. She says, I learned a lot of how my, about how, from how my parents lived their faith, hard work ethic, determination. It's so much more than what we preach, but how we live or what we see in our earliest examples. This has personally motivated me to want to become better for my children. It's not about me anymore. I got to second that. I don't know if there's anything more convicting to my character, my pursuit of good character than being a father. And I'll have to say that there are some, I've seen fruit from my kids uh, that gives me great, gives me great gratitude. Uh, but it's something that I am concerned about every single 
day is my example to my kids. And it's, uh, it's always a concern. Am I being the best that I can? Am I being the best mirror of Christ that I can? And those are some hard shoes to follow. You got it. You know, I was just talking with a, a, a man on, his name is uh, Luis, and Luis is interested in our Ziggler Legacy certification. And mm-hmm. I said, why is that? And he said, well, I'm in the safety industry, uh, and I work and consult with different companies and CEOs and executive suites and and about how to, you know, have workplace safety, how to avoid workplace compensation things. And he said, but my heart is really for the workers. My heart is for the, the people out there who are have risky jobs, right? Jobs that if you don't do them right, you can get hurt. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, he said, when I was a, a young boy, around, he said, my dad was in an accident. He was on the job and, and he was head of maintenance and there was an arc welding accident. And my dad was burned on 30% of his body. Hmm. And he said, he, you know, he recovered and it took months and he went back to work and he just recently retired. But he said, he said so many workers today, you know, they, they don't understand the impact that an accident will not only have on you, but on your whole family. And so he's, he's like, he'd learned this lesson. His dad overcame a lot to get where he was. Then he had that accident. Then he overcame again and he saw, you know, his dad is a superhero. And now he is in his own career trying to influence and impact the next generation to do things right so that they don't have to have it, have that struggle. Mm-hmm. And so the, the dominoes don't fall and impact right. or limit the decisions and the, the careers that they can choose down the road because they had an unnecessary accident. Uh, and yeah. it, so it's amazing how when you see somebody, especially when a child sees a parent, go through a really difficult time and then handle it correctly and rise above it, how that seems to have a... I don't know, a multiplying impact on the next level, you know, the next, the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's daunting and an amazing privilege as well. Well, here, Colin Martin says, I learned about character from my boy scout leaders and their lessons in the scout oath and scout law. Almost all of them were former military, which influenced my decision to join myself. I witnessed real character in action in the army. And I got to call out again as I was doing my cross-country drive here, listening to Ziggler. And, and folks, it was from the Strategies for Success set, which if you go to Ziggler.com, you can uh, find that. It's, I, I don't know, is it six or eight CDs and DVDs, both? You can listen to the audio or watch the video. Um, it's six, six or eight. And in that, Zig talks about, I think it's in some, some of the lead-off messages, about the integrity that he learned and that is instilled in Boy Scouts as being such a big, big part of, uh, yeah, so many leaders' lives. You know, here's an interesting story. My, um, this is a great, okay, so here's, here is a legacy story. So my dad, when he was in high school, the high school history teacher, 
really inspired dad with this concept. Here's the concept. The teacher said, if those who have more don't reach down and help those who have less up to the next level, then eventually by the sure weight of numbers, those who have less will pull those who have more down. Mm. And so that was the bedrock of, you know, kind of dad's initial philosophy. You can have everything in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. Now, that high school teacher, when he was a boy, was mentored by the person who founded the Boy Scouts in the state of Mississippi. And that person's name was Thomas B. Abernathy. Mm. And, of course, my mom's maiden name is Abernathy. So my mom's father mentored the boy who became the teacher who influenced at an early age my dad's love for education and philosophy. Wow. Talk about integrity. Yeah. And of course, uh, what we talked, you know, mom, mom just, she passed away. Uh, I can't believe it. It's, it's already been a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Last night I was in her, uh, apartment there at the senior living community and we're, we're, you know, and it's one of those, um, God, it's, it's surreal when you go through your parents, especially after you've just lost them. Uh, you know, losing mom and, and we know sure where she is and we're, and we're grateful and happy and blessed for the life that she lived. But I pull out of a drawer and I open, you know, this wrapping and there's a Bible in there that is literally crumbling. Yeah. And I open it up and it was given to my grandfather in 1905 on his 13th birthday. Wow. And I'm looking at this history, right? And so I'm thinking, gosh, you know, this this is, you know, maybe this is the the place where my grandfather had the inspiration to take principles and values like the Boy Scout Oath into a state like Mississippi that influenced the young scout who would become the teacher who would have an impact on my father. I mean, it just ripples through. And so... What a connection there. And, of course, later in life, Dad was awarded the Silver Buffalo Award from the Boy Scouts for his lifelong uh, support and you know, recognition from the stage of what a powerful organization and all they've done around character and integrity for young, uh, for young people. Yeah, that's an incredible story. And i got to say, I've got, a, uh, I've got a Bible like that falling apart from my grandfather. It's in a big Ziploc bag. It was, uh, he passed away long ago, but it was, I had an uncle, aunt and uncle just move, and I was a recipient of that Bible. Um, really grateful. So a sweet memento. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Uh, Brian Gregory here. This is uh, an interesting sharing here. 
before becoming an adult, I learned everything about being an adult through the GI Joe cartoons and comic books. My parents divorced when I was young. My pops was always working. I never thought it affected me until my current job when I was getting passed over for promotions due to concerns about my character. I've always wanted to do the right thing, but knowing what was the right thing was the problem. I always looked at attaining immediate success as the goal, which caused me to take the shortest route. I've now been promoted to a pretty high position in the company, and the higher I go, the more I understand the bigger picture and long-term play. That is thanks in large part due to my boss, who saw the potential in me and took the time to invest in developing my character. Getting immediate gratification is useless if I have to step on people to get there, and knowing that if everyone around me wins, then my own victory will take care of itself. It's been a long road, but I think my character has been developed by being placed into a position where character was needed. I'd like to think I learned from my mistakes and I'm grateful that the people in charge of me exercised patience. Man, Tom, I just, I love that. That statement right there could use some unpacking. I probably, it's been a long road, but I think my character has been developed by being placed in a position where character was needed. What an interesting statement. And it caused me to think, gosh, are there, I guess there are positions where character is not so much needed. Uh, really interesting Really interesting statement, perspective. And I just, man, Brian, I appreciate you sharing this. <laughs> Boy, I, I love it. Uh, I've always said that, you know, tough circumstances, they reveal character as mm-hmm. much as they develop character. Mm-hmm. And he just, he basically said the same thing, that his character really started being developed in the right direction when he got a mentor. Because mm-hmm. if you've never been taught, then it only makes sense that you will make as many good decisions as you will bad decisions because you don't know. And so now he's got people in his life who are showing him, hey, this is how it's done. This is how we win long term. This is how we build relationships and trust and character. And when we think about, I wonder if there's ever been a study, uh, you know, maybe outside of uh, sports and some other things, uh, it's almost a parallel. The more character and integrity someone has uh the the more positional opportunity they have from a trust perspective and when you have to have a lot of trust in somebody that means they usually carries a lot of responsibility which usually has higher pay so i've never really looked at it that way but that would be interesting well i think you're i think you're right of course the the question goes to we all know unfortunately through the media we know of stars whether it's in sports or you know uh actors and actresses or musicians or whatever but the people that we read about in the daily papers who do not uh, exemplify much character or an integrity. They have become good at something. Obviously they mastered a skill. Um, but I think we also generally look at them and there's not much we would want to emulate. We may like their bank accounts. We may like their fame, but otherwise they are not people we would put trust in. They're not people we would want to be with. And I think we generally see the results of that. Don't pan out that the, well, and then it gets back to the message of Ziegler that ultimate success has success in a lot of areas in your life, not just in, uh, yeah, a great career. 
Uh, well, Becky Gash here. She says, my dad was a physical therapist. He would take me to care homes and the hospitals to visit his patients. He would sing. We would sing for patients at Christmas time. He taught me about helping and serving others. My mom would always tell me, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Two important lessons in life. Well, I can't think of a more impacting experience than going along to see ill uh, people, people near death. I've had a friend who's been in hospice. He's been a hospice pastor for a long time and talk about a leveling experience. Uh, it's probably something that we should all take part in, uh, to some degree. That's, that's profound, Becky. I love that. And one of the, one of the character things that became apparent to me not too long ago is, you know, we've got, you've heard about helicopter parents and, and intervention and especially uh, in the more kind of upscale suburb suburb type areas of of America. It's like the parents will do the work that the kids should be doing. And and there was actually a a case going on around here where uh, the kids have to had had to have a certain amount of service hours in order to meet a requirement the school had. And parents were calling in saying, well, can I do the service hours for them? Oh, wow. And think about this. The act of service is something that you only really learn by doing. You can't watch somebody serve on your behalf. Yeah. you got to get in there and do it. And so I love that lesson of, hey, come with me. Let's go serve. Yeah. We yeah do that's... it together. That is, that is significant. And that puts it on, on us as parents. Um, that was something that my wife and I dealt with years ago. I remember a Christmas where we said, oh my gosh, can we just serve somebody in need? And we were really drawn to the idea of a single mom in need. And we live in a little mountain town up, up, uh, in the Rockies. And it was hard to find an opportunity. We finally got involved for our family's sake. And this, it sounds a little selfish, but we found a children's home on an Indian uh, a native American reservation down in New Mexico. And, uh, we go there to try to help people, but I know that we went there and we still go there to try to help ourselves. Um, we need that experience and that exposure. Um, got one here. This is from Jennifer Meisel and I've got to, I got to call out to her, Jennifer. Thanks for posting. She's, uh, she posts a lot and she and I were childhood friends through church. Our parents were friends in Bowling Green, Kentucky about, uh, 15 lifetimes ago. And I remember her parents. I remember her dad, C.A. Meisel. And, uh, I know this statement to be true. She says a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's my parents and grandparents, mainly because I saw actions match their words, seeing my mom and dad help strangers and then not letting anybody know was impactful because it seemed like they only cared that God knew. And also the books I read as a child really had a major impact. Narnia Chronicles, a severe mercy. It totally shaped me. Um, that is a a sweet testimony. I, I want that one for my kids as well. Yeah. You know, uh, just another dad story. It wasn't until he passed away and we started getting all the letters and notes that we realized how many people he had written personally that mm-hmm. he never told anybody just offering hope and encouragement. Yeah. Uh, what a, what a mark that somebody can have just doing it to serve and not for any other reason. So I'm with you on that. 
Yes, I often have the perspective of if, of uh, God watching me, and He sees. It uh, shapes a lot. Steve Rosen here, and Steve is a well-known uh, guy in the fitness arena. He's a trainer and oh, yeah. does a lot online. He said, uh, Zig was my first true mentor when it came to values. In an industry with so many fakes, frauds, and hacks, Zig's legacy only gets stronger and more positive. I'm grateful I found him first because his kindness and integrity changed my life. And I have dear appreciation for that testimony because that is mine. Uh, as a kid growing up with my dad taking me to a lot of motivational seminars, I got to see everybody. And then he got us in with, I don't know how he did it, but got us in where we would, uh, we would not pay. We'd get in for free and we'd go help sell the speaker's uh, products back at the tables in the back. And through that, I got to see behind, I got behind the scenes access to a lot of these guys. And I was often disappointed, but with Zig Ziglar, I was not my testimonies like pretty much everybody else with a uh, 50,000 people around when I stood in line to get an autograph or when he came back to the product table and I got to, to, to meet him. It felt like I was the only person in the room. And, uh, you know what? That's why I'm here today, Tom. Well, that, and cause you know, you're a pretty good guy as well. <laughs> yeah. Hey, a shout out to Steve. He was in town in Dallas. Oh gosh, I guess it's close to two months ago. We had, we had lunch and he's just the real deal sharing, uh, his successes and his trials in life. And, you know, I think, uh, and all of us have our own trials. And if you, if you follow Steve on Facebook, you'll know what he's, uh, what he's dealing with. He's served our country. He's, he's seen a lot of things. He's, he's helped so many people in so many, and he's, and he's transparent and truthful and, what he struggles with and what he wins with. And it's, and it's amazing how I I love the words in there about kindness as part of the thing. That's, that's the Ziegler message and the Ziegler way. Dad always had a compassionate voice of saying, Hey, here's the right way to do it. And what happens when you do that, when that's the example that you hear and you see is you want to do it and you don't feel less because you haven't always done it that way. Mm. A lot of times I say people use the truth as a hammer Mm. and you know, that's not our responsibility. Uh, We let the truth sit there because it's the truth. But you know, dad used to say, you'll attract, uh, you'll attract a lot more flies with honey. And that's the idea. We want to impact people's lives and we want to attract people with honey. And that's, that's kindness. Is there a better one than that? In fact, uh, I recommended Shanti Feldham's uh, book, The Kindness. Was it The Kindness Challenge? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What a, what a great book. And you know, you can live your life with all these principles, but you, you wrap it up in kindness and it, it really lives on. Uh, we have mentioned Shanti so many times. I actually emailed her not long ago, Tom, just to testify to how many times we talk about her. Uh, yeah, I don't know what show that was, folks, but if you scroll down, you'll find Shanti Feldhan, F-E-L-D-H-A-U-N, maybe. Uh, uh, but uh, she wrote the book, the boy, it's the Kindness Challenge, or I'm looking at my book stack here, the or 30 Days Kindness Challenge. But we talk about it because it talks about uh, being kind. And it's not just about the reciprocity you get. It's about what it does in your own heart and your own brain makes you a better person. Um, 
Dennis Durrell, he says, I don't believe character or morality is something that we can learn at all. Rather, I believe there's an innate God-given sin reference in all of us. Some of us choose to listen to this reference while others tend to follow the world. What we can do, however, is practice, practice being of good character and this business of character practiced. Uh, now that is an endless pursuit that we will never complete, but in our failure, uh, in our failure, become carved into humble servant leaders. Uh, interesting to me, that first statement that, uh, we have sin in us, uh, sin reference in all of us. And, uh, we should, in essence, I think he's saying we should, we should know right and wrong. I, I, I think, I, I think there's a truth to that. Of course, I struggle with that a little bit with kids because I see that if they are left to go their own way, um, you don't see that moral rudder in them. And I think it's up to us to showcase that, like what you said with honey, not with a hammer, but to showcase and exemplify and groom that because I have definitely seen people who did not get that opportunity and they have never been awoken to it as well. Though I would say, yeah, do we all have an innate sense uh, of right or wrong implanted in us? I think so. But, um, uh, then we got to count on that coming to the surface and being aware of that. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. That, that's a, that's a, that's a difficult statement, I think, but I, I think I get the point Dennis is making. I think I get the point as well. And I'd probably have to have a deep, mm-hmm. deep discussion on it. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I have this quote, it's attitude is a reflection of character and character is a reflection of habit. And the comment that I asked the room whenever I present that quote is I ask people, okay, what came first, character or habit? Hmm. And that's like a chicken or egg thing um, because, and you mentioned young kids, do two-year-olds, um, do they naturally share? Hmm. They don't. As parents, we help them create the habit of sharing and then they adopt it. And so the idea of practice leading to character is kind of like that quote, you know, habits lead to character. And so I asked a uh, friend of mine who's a psychiatrist and kind of an expert in this category. And I said, what do you think about it? And he said, well, I like it. But then he said, but you know, habits are choices and our character informs our choices. Hmm. And so the more character we have, the better our choices will be, which will mean that we have better habits. And it's, so it's kind of a, a cycle in a circle. The, the problem is, is that we, if we don't get the right input, if we don't have the example, um, you know, it tends to go back to the more selfish motives that we have. And then we go through life until we get a mentor later in, in business, like we talked about earlier, who says, no, 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 wait. If you always put yourself first, you're never going to build the trust and the relationships that you need long-term. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so we need, to, we need to learn it from the outside, you know, what we should be doing. But, and then on the inside, I think uh, what we have is God's put a, he's, he, he's put this need for truth in us, and our heart recognizes the truth people would ask dad, they would say, gosh, you speak, your message is almost the same every time. And dad would say, yeah, the truth never changes. Yeah. And so I think that's the key is we've got to, we've, we've got to seek the truth and we've, we've got to learn it and we've got to put it in practice. And so uh, I kind of like the thought process there. I'd just like to know more. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you're talking about ha- you know habit. It got me thinking. We you know we are we tend to be what we're habitually exposed to. We're exposed ourselves to, and so many in childhood are exposed to things not by their own doing. Um, they're they're victims of that, and that trains our trains our brains, trains our character, and we've got to retrain out of that. Well, hey, Josh uh, Polison, it looks like here, he says, mostly through parents, church, and school, but I've had to relearn quite a bit, um, not gaining thou shalt nots as much as removing them. For example, I felt like I could never interrupt. This is, a, this is an in-depth sharing here. I felt like I, I could never interrupt. Interruption was bad. I was a very high-energy kid and struggled to communicate for a while, so I can see where I got more approval by being quiet. I'm still in the process of learning. Interruption is okay and a piece of great leadership, certainly not being rude or devaluing others, but if the world or my industry is headed in the wrong direction, it's a virtuous, it's virtuous to stand up and lead people to a better way. Even if it interrupts a market or some very powerful people, not feeling valuable enough to interrupt has led to passivity and fear to disagree. It assumes that no matter what I have to say, my interruption is never better than the alternative. This is something I am working through. Well, I, Josh, I, man, I just appreciate you sharing that. And I just relate to doing as a kid. I was raised in a beautiful, loving home by Dan and Joanne Miller, but I did learn how to get approval. And I found myself pursuing that sometimes above what was best and what was best for me and what was authentic. And I would say that that is something I am also always working through, especially as a very conflict averse person, because I want approval. I want to, uh, I want to make people happy. I want to people please. And so I, uh, I, I'll, I'm part of your club there, Josh. I'll come to the weekly meeting too. Tony Cooper here is next. She says, from my parents' example, as well as them forcing us to listen to motivational speakers on road trips. (laughs) There we go. I also learned it from ice skating, though. I was a high-level competitive figure skater. Luckily, I had an amazing coach who taught me to treat my fellow competitors with kindness and that winning is about doing my personal best. I learned how to win and lose gracefully. Yeah. How many people, Tom, uh, were so influenced by, uh, again, it's the authorities in life. It was the parents, it's the teachers. In this case, it's a coach. I mean, we hear it time and time and time again. And oh my gosh, I mean, how many movies have been made about a coach in a sporting uh, relationship like this, who has had a significant influence and we see it for better and worse, uh, as well. But I mean, my gosh, you know, there's so many Ziegler stories, uh, about that. I think recently I was listening to one and he was talking about, um, uh, Lou Holtz, uh, who he cites so often, but these people who had massive influence in people's lives and my gosh, how many coaches are part of the Ziegler organization? You deal with tens of thousands of them that are influencing people's life. This is the opportunity that they have. Yeah. I love, I love the whole mindset of a coach. Um, and I think in, in our relationships in the office and whatever we're doing in life, you know, whether we view ourselves as a mentor, as a coach, as a leader, kind of that, that coaching, um, that, that coaching mindset that says, you know what, I want you to win in every area. Uh, coach Holtz, he talks about, I can't remember the official name at Notre Dame, but it's, you know, the, the kids, the managers who bring the water uh, on the field they all end up running uh, multi-million dollar companies later in life. And what do they have in common? 
they put everything on the line to help everybody else perform their best. Isn't that a powerful thing? And so yeah. that's a, that's a, that's a, that is just an example in and of itself. And then when you have a coach that can point to, this is the way you do it right. Uh, like Tony Cooper had, and Tony's one of our certified trainers as well. Hmm. And so I can hear her voice as she says, she's told me many times, yeah, my parents made me listen to Zig on these road trips. And so it's funny how I, I can't tell you how many, it's probably hundreds now of people who grew up in the automobile listening to dad because they had to. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> and now they think, you know what? That's the best thing that could have happened to me. Yes. Hey, that's my testimony, man. I'd get, I'd be a little, I'd be a little, uh, off, off center as a kid and I'd have to go get an attitude adjustment and listen to Zig Ziglar. You'd think I, it would be a terrifying to me at this point, but, uh, it worked, worked its magic. Well, here's uh, we got just a couple more here, Merle Roar. And I got to make a call out to Merle who is just retired from, I don't know how many decades of serving at children's homes. Uh, these are with abandoned kids, one as a house parent along with his wife. One of the most thankless jobs, uh, hard jobs, heartbreaking jobs that I can and devotions that I can imagine. And I, I saw it firsthand. I've seen uh, what they've gone through, um, just a, a significant, significant offering of lives. And he said uh, he learned from his parents who used the Bible as a guide. He says, I don't ever remember not having them in place. It was often reinforced through my backside. Uh, but those lessons have always gotten me through the toughest times in life. And I saw him pay those forward with, I have no idea how many children who lived in the home with, with him and his wife that they cooked for three meals a day, that they taught school um, that they did home maintenance for when the toilets backed up and just on and on and on. Um, parents and a Bible as a guide. That was a very, very, maybe the most common thread in all these sharings, Tom. I tell you what, that would be my answer. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, hey, how about one more here? I've got uh, Christine Odell. She says, I started learning about this in school. I had two very memorable teachers on this subject. One was a high school teacher. He took us deep into life as a group, probably my first mastermind group, uh, to be honest. And then I had an amazing ethics teacher in college. He helped us look deeply into modern, which was 1980s modern day issues from multiple perspectives and helped us to form our own opinions on how to handle ethic ethics issues, not just one-sided. In fact, he encouraged discussions about different points of view which is not common, common in a little liberal college. Well, Tom, that brings me to, and I wrote this down. I love your statement of not using truth as a hammer that when we look at our opportunity to teach and pass on to those around us, whether it's kids, coworkers, employees, uh, everybody we touch, and we have the opportunity to, uh, touch or to emulate good character, good ethics, good morality. It's, very tempting, or I'll, I'll just speak for myself. I am very tempted to teach it how I see it and how I believe in it and how I've experienced it. And so I really appreciate Christine 
showcase an example of somebody who did not do that, but they just opened up the platform and it sounds like in love and respect to allow the topics of ethics, morality, character to be discussed. I think when we do that, we see people gracefully come to a good place and to, uh, to the right place. But, um, I think that's where we also give those issues or the teaching of those a bad name when we try to, as you said, use it as a hammer. I might have to, uh, that's a good title. Truth as a hammer. Actually, that's actually, it's a bad title, isn't it? This is not what you know. You don't want to do <laughs> truth as honey, not as a hammer would be more of the title. Um, gosh, that's, that's, uh, that's challenging for all of us. How can we do that? Can we bring it to people, not, you know, pushing it down their throats in essence? You know, I'm this. This might be a a good one to leave off on. Maybe we'll get some comments mm-hmm. on this on, mm-hmm. on uh, the iTunes reviews. But you know, I've I spent a lot of time really investigating the difference between love and tolerance. Hmm. Um, and I, you know, and and just as a cultural thing, the word tolerance has really been elevated to this to this level of it's the ultimate. Uh, quality, right? Mm-hmm. It's the ultimate moral standard. Hey, we need to have tolerance. Yes, yeah, so what yeah, we sta- what we stand for is to stand for nothing, in essence. Right. Yeah. And and so when I when Dad and I talked about it, I said, Dad, what do you think about tolerance? And he said, Oh, I'm not a fan. And I said, Really? And he said, Yeah. He said, You know, it's just a cop out. And I go, What do you mean? And he said, Well, he said if you tolerate someone. And they're about to drive off the cliff. You just let them go, right? You let them do whatever they're doing. And then whatever the consequences are, it's a, you know, go ahead. You get to deal with the consequences. But then he said this, he said, love requires risk because if you love someone and they're driving their car towards the cliff, you risk the relationship. Right. Love has risk. So you get in front of the car and you wave them down and you say, hey, hey, I've been down that road. It's dangerous. Don't go there. And so that made a that made a big impression in me. And so what what she what they're talking about here in this in this situation about the teacher is the teacher was approaching it from a love perspective, which is, hey, let's investigate. Let's ask questions. Let's recognize that other people have different uh, opinions. Right which is a totally different kind of perspective or position than a tolerance. Because when you elevate tolerance, as soon as you come across somebody who doesn't have the same level of tolerance, you're backed into a quandary, Hmm. right? I mean, to me, the ultimate show of tolerance would be to love those who are the most intolerant. And yet you get the opposite. They get shouted down. You know, they get they they get they get called out for not accepting what I believe. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. And and see, love is different because I have to tell you, I have friends all over the world, all different faiths, all different backgrounds, all different beliefs. And I love them. And because I love them, it's OK if we don't agree on everything. And I know truth is honey with love. I have a much better opportunity to demonstrate, hey, this is how we should do it. And, and have an impact than if I were just to basically um, unlike them in life, like we do on Facebook, because you don't believe exactly the way I do. Yeah. 
And so I love that idea that this uh, teacher demonstrated love when it came to people's different worldviews. I love that. I do too. And I think you're, you, you talked about leaving off on that. Many people would have comments. I think they would. That's, we might need to ponder that for a show, love or tolerance. That's, uh, that's dicey water to talk about there. Maybe we should take it on. What do you think? I like it. Okay. I like it. All right. Well, folks, tell us what you think. If we should take that one on, you can, uh, if you go to my Facebook page, agent K Miller, you can see these postings and, uh, let us know if we should take that one on folks. Thank you. Just blessed, blessed sharings right here. I am motivated to seek more influences to shape my own character, ethics, morality, and to do even better in being a better example of that to all of those around me and lead them in that direction. Tom brother, thank you for being one of those people in my life, enduring to help shape my own character, morality, and ethics. Appreciate you, brother. Love you too. Likewise. I love you too. I love you. I don't just tolerate you. I love That's you. Right. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, there you go, friends. Again, big thanks to all of you who commented to this question and to all the weekly questions on Facebook. Your sharing just makes for such rich, valuable shows. If you want to join in, again, friend me on Facebook at Agent K Miller. Hey, if you got value from the show, will you please leave a review in iTunes or Stitcher? Name the show and why it meant something to you, what you got out of it. I've got a treat for you in our next show, and I'll fill you in right after I share some great resources with you. Well, coming up next in show 603, I have a treat for you. At Social Media Marketing World in San Diego earlier this year, I saw this guy walking by in a bright yellow tux. I mean, you could not miss him. And my mom says, oh my gosh, Kevin, I've got to introduce you to Jesse. So we walk over, I get an introduction. Later, I get the story from my dad. And folks, it's a movie-worthy story, literally. Guy took a college league baseball team in Savannah, Georgia, that was having literally maybe a couple hundred people come and attend any given game. And Jesse went nuts. He decided to make the event about family and entertainment with a little baseball thrown in. A couple short years later, they pack out every game with over 4,000 people and are sold out more than a year ahead. It's truly an amazing and, and true story, kind of where the truth is stranger and more glorious than fiction could be. Going from a nice living he and his wife had to going a million dollars in debt, living on ramen noodle, noodles, and, and literally to now being poised to change baseball as we know it. Really, you've got to hear what is happening. But what's best is you're going to smile and be massively inspired. Jesse has inspired me to do some things differently, better, invest in relationships more for one thing. So you're going to want to hear this. Till then, folks, thank you for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.